Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold, part of that short sentence. I'm awfully glad you joined me today. I'm so looking forward to, to meeting uh, my first guest. Uh, he has not only a, been a professional comedian and magician for 30 years, but he is uh, he loves to make people laugh, and he does it in a clean way, and that's my kind of guy. His name is Stephen Bargetsy, and I'm so glad to meet him. Stephen, welcome. Hi, buddy. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, and me have, I suppose, a bunch in common, but we can go into that later. Uh, but what I think we have in common, first and foremost, is our love for uh, the Lord. Oh, very much, very much so. I uh, came to know the Lord when I was about uh, nineteen. Right? I mean, literally two weeks before I got married, and uh, you know, I wasn't always understanding everything great, but it's been an awesome ride and. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy my time with him now. And So, uh, yeah, Stephen, how did you talk your folks into getting married at 19? But they were wanting to get rid of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind, of, kind of ran away from home. I, I was a very troubled kid. Okay. I mean, I was one of those guys that, uh, uh, that you know, had way more problems than, than worth it to my parents. So they were... I had kind of ran away and was on my own since I was about 16, 17 years old. I was pretty much on my own. Wow. So you grew up fast. Pretty fast. Yeah. Pretty fast. Yeah. So was there an incident in your childhood or at a time in your life that was sort of pivotal? Did I, I probably asked that question wrong. Let me try again. You had an incident with a dog, didn't you? Oh, yes. Well, I, I, you know what? It's funny. I was going to go there anyway. Oh, I, good. Uh, okay. Yeah, but when I was a small kid, uh, when I was about two and a half, two years old, uh, my uh, dad was putting took me to a bowling alley and and stuff, and I went in and I just accidentally got put in the wrong room, and uh, he thought might have been a nursery, and it turned out where they had some guard dogs in there, and I was attacked by a bulldog, and and he took my face, part of my face back, and part of my tongue. That's why so it's not your it's not the radio or anything. I just talk funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so no one adjusts the dials on their radio. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Everything's okay. fine. Everything's fine. And uh, but when I was a little kid, I, I stuttered really bad. I stammered, and uh, I just had a real difficult time. And because of that, I was placed in a lot of special ed classes as a student and everything. So I kind of grew up thought I was stupid and. and and dumb, just that's what people kind of told you, and I believed everybody. I didn't really try too hard at anything in it, and it was all, you know, uh, getting uh, getting right with God and figuring it out, and then and I ended up running away to Nashville, Tennessee. I had a cousin down here that was coaching at Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the one that kind of took me in and showed me what the real world was kind of like, and uh and stuff and changed my life and ended up I went to school and I, ended, I went to college and it, it took me six years to get in college because I didn't do anything in in high school but once once I got there I did all right yeah 
Stephen, let's go back to the kids that teased you, and I want you to send me their names and phone numbers, and I will take care of it. <laughs> I've already taken care of all of them. Oh. No, 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 okay. no, I have not. Okay. Uh, uh, but, no, we'll do it fine. Yeah, so there was a little trouble pronouncing 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 vowels and consonants, so all of a sudden right. you were getting teased, and then that quickly made you feel like you weren't as bright as the other kids, and boy, yeah, yeah, it I just was, it goes was, from there. Yeah, it was easy to give up on yourself. You know, I just kind of thought, hey, you're stupid. I thought I can't say stuff. I also, I mean, this is a, related to it all, too. I was, I went to Catholic schools, and um, we, you weren't allowed to be left-handed. And, of course, I was the only one in left-handed in my family. And, and so I just thought, you don't even know how to use your right hand and stuff like that. So I wasn't very good in sports and everything when I was young just because I was, you know, using the wrong hand. So I just thought, man, you're stupid. You, you're not smart, and you're not a great athlete. My my brother was a great athlete and uh, very smart. My sisters were smart, and uh, I just wasn't. So I just kind of, uh, you know, that the prophecy of thinking, well, I'm dumb. I must be dumb, and I believed everybody. Yeah. So Steve and I w- was a Catholic kid myself, and. I am hearing if this for the first time about the left-handedness. So was it you You weren't allowed to write with your left hand or throw with your left hand, or were they trying to you bully you into going you, the other direction? Yeah, you wasn't. Uh, I'm probably older than you, but uh, we wasn't allowed to do anything left-handed. If they wow. You, they would hit you. You'd have to hold your hand out, and they'd hit you with a yardstick 10 times <laughs> on my knuckles. Okay. So it was, it was, you know what, and with magic, I, it's a great story because God works things out. When I won, I won the IBM, International Brotherhood of Magicians, uh, in the year 2000. And then the next following year, I was, I was a judge in the contest. And one of the other judges, you had to sign like a little waiver or something. This guy said, hey, watch this guy. He's our next person he goes watch him sign his name and i go well what did i okay so i did and he goes well now you know if he's left or right-handed so when he performs you know which hand to look at oh Uh, so when i performed i do all my magic left-handed but i but i write anything a nun can see i do (laughs) right yeah so yeah (laughs) i always say those nuns made me a champion yes i'll take it yeah i'll take it because you have won a number of titles, uh, International Brotherhood yeah. of Magicians, first yeah. place in close-up, and you probably got stage awards, and you've got, I'm looking over your awards, you've got a lot of awards. Yeah, 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 but you know, it's like, we're like Hollywood, we give them to each other. I know, I know, but if you, <laughs> if you want to send a couple to the studio, I'd be happy to put them up on my mantle, just so you know, uh, I mean, uh, all right, all right. you know, you, you clean, you clean stuff up a little bit, you send a couple of my way, you know what, no one's going to question the awards, all right, uh, <laughs> let's, I want to ask you more about uh, starting your, your, not only your, your magic career, uh, but I also want to hear more about when you started to realize that your faith was the most important thing in, in your in your world? Yeah, well, I mean, almost, I, you know, so many people, when you, when you first become, when I first became a Christian, God took everything away from me. I was, you know, I sold drugs, I did drugs, I, I drank, I did it all. Okay. Uh, I cursed. I, I, I mean, I was just not a good person. I mean, I hung around. Because I, I hung out with punks and thugs because they're the only ones that will accept you. You know, you just do what they tell you. <laughs> uh, you yeah. sell a car, you sell this, you do this. And, that, and I did all that stupid stuff. But once I 
you know, went forward and accepted Christ. He took it. I mean, I know it doesn't work this way all the time, but he took everything away from wow. me. My desire to, to do any of that stuff. I, I, I've never had a problem with any of that. And I don't, I don't, it, it didn't follow me any time after that. And so I, I was just around. My cousin was really good and good. He was just a great man and did a whole lot and showed me what it was like to be a Christian. And then I hung out and I ended up going to Chaveca Nigerian College or I went to a college. I started off, I thought that I had to be a pastor because I figured if you become a Christian, you, you got to be a priest or a pastor or do something. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a professor tell me that, you know, he goes, hey, you know, you talk funny. I don't think you, I was still stud stuttering, uh, and I was probably about 19 and uh, 20, and he said, I don't know if God would call you to be a preacher. Maybe you should think of something else. And I, I was doing magic already at the time, and uh I was. I started off. Or kidding around. I started off as a clown because um, it was so much easier. I had a great clown voice. I was afraid to be funny by myself, mm. but as as a clown, I thought it was okay. And I used to meet these other clowns that would go, "Oh man, you got a great voice for clowning. How do you do it?" And then I try to talk them into, "You got to get a dog." <laughs> And you start there. <laughs> I don't mean none to laugh, but that's very quite, funny, Stephen. None of them was ever quite that serious enough to go that way and do it. But I, I kind of just, you know, the Lord has been so good, been so good to me and my family. And I think he's just always honored. And I think part of that comes from I've never in my life has have tried to take any credit for any of this. Uh-huh. You know, it's not me, and it's not, you know, my son does com uh, comedy, and God has been blessing him tremendously, and, uh, you know, we think that we got to, I, I just want to, I'm having dinner with him tonight now, and I'm going to remind him, it's not us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, I mean, this is all just a blessing and a gift from God. It's all by the, His grace and mercy, and uh, that, that's why we have, anything that we have comes from that. So I'm very, very thankful. I've always been thankful, and you uh, know, for that, for me, once I put my faith into Him, I've always kind of, kind of hung up there. But I got a great wife too, mm -hmm. and his family. She just walked out by me, so I, yeah. I had to say that while she walked by. And it also sounds, Stephen, like you got a great dog. So everything's <laughs> no, working in your world. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't have. We don't have a dog. I don't even know what that noise. I'm outside. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a dog in the in the neighborhood somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to go back. I'm fascinated by this time in your life where you're young and you've run away and you said to me that you not only cussed but took drugs. Did you ever cuss and take drugs in the same day? <laughs> Very much. Okay. <laughs> Most time they went together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and then you got set free. And you know when you come to faith in Christ, you are you are released from the enslaving power of sin. And it sounds right, like right. that's the work God did in your life, which is so spectacular. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, and it's, I mean, I don't know how much time we all have, maybe in the next segment, I need to tell you at the, the end part, because, uh, you know, when I left home, uh, I didn't, I had no relationship with my family, my parents. I went 12 years without really seeing any of them. I lost my dad died during that time. And, and I, you know, it's like I wasn't even going to go to the funeral. I, I, I kind of blamed them for a while, and then I didn't. And as a Christian, you know, you have to forgive them. And um, 
and I did that I, the best I knew how. But I, I you know, my mom uh, died with uh, COVID not in 2020. Oh boy, I'm so sorry. Um, and um, you know, but I got to see her the day before she died. You know, and I real and and I kind of you know, it's a long story. But my mom never. Um, she never, uh, we were, we just never were really close, close. And she didn't like my faith and or she didn't understand it. And then my brothers and sisters, we just thought uh, none of us were ever close. I have a sister that knew that knows the Lord and, uh, but the other ones didn't, and they didn't understand what, you know, they thought that I thought, I always saw it as, I think I'm better than them and stuff like that. It never was that way. And, uh, but my, I just had a chance to go see my mom the day before she died. And I was remember on the way up to go see her, I was thinking, this is her last chance to tell me she's sorry. You know, she never seen, she doesn't know my kids. She doesn't know my grandkids. She didn't, she never took the time to ever get involved in my life or find out anything, which was all her own. She had so many problems. And I found out that at the funeral, God opened my eyes to see the life they had. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know nothing about them, but my, my mom went through some horrible things as a kid and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, so I mean, her life was changed and she, and she ran away about the same time I did and from Nashville, went to Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I went to school. And then when I got her age, I ran away and ended up down here where she was. Wow. And, uh, so it was just kind of really funny, but, but when I went in to see my mom, uh, you know, she was all hooked up and she couldn't really talk but with her eyes and stuff. But, you know, it was just, I just realized God's grace and mercy. I just, I needed to ask her to forgive me. Wow. You know, I said, I, I oh should have been a better son. Yeah. Wow. I should have been, been I, you know, I wish I would have made you see my family and not have brought them around. I just didn't, I didn't think she ever wanted to. So I didn't just never did do it mm-hmm. and stuff. So uh, God allowed me at the end to, Asked her to forgive me, which was a great, you know, it's funny how long it waits. I mean, it starts off, I was 16, and I was 65 when she died. Wow. Wow. Stephen, let me take a short break. Stephen Bargetzi yep. is my guest. Yep. We'll be back after a short break. Stephen Bargetzi, we're awfully glad to be hearing his story. And Stephen, right before the break, we were you were telling us about your moment with your mother where you asked for forgiveness, and you went there thinking she was in need of forgiving you, and that was a very strong moment. Thank you for sharing that. That was uh, amazing. Again, that's the God we serve, and that He He allowed that, and and then it gave me the opportunity to realize why I was really there because you know I thought All right, she needs this. But I also, I mean, I was also the, when I first became to know the Lord, I mean, I came, and this is what I ran my family off, because I would go uh, to all of them and say, hey, y'all, y'all are going to hell. I was going to hell. We're all going to hell. You got you to accept Christ. You got to do this. And, and there, was, there was no love, and I, they had never really seen the change in me. It just happened so fast. 
and and I've tried to share with my mom two or three times in her life, and it never worked out. And uh, so, but this time when I was going back and to ask her to forgive me and tell her all this stuff, uh, again I shared the gospel with her, and you know, and ask her does she believe and all that. And I really think that I'm going to see her, and we're going to have a long time, and you know, in paradise to kind of get to know each other where mm-hmm. we didn't know. And I found, you know, and my other sister uh, was with her the morning she died, and she also went through the same thing. So it was really interesting. And, uh, you you know, you got to pray that stuff like that happens. Yes, you do, because we yeah. we never, ever give up on anybody. No, no, no. That was right at the end and, and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I did realize, you know, in the beginning, you don't, we don't know. You know, understand so hard to try to explain the grace, you know, what, what the difference in grace and mercy and, and that we receive this. It's so much easier to say, yeah, well, well we got to work. We got to earn it. We got to, you got to do all these rules. And don't, you just got to believe. Yeah. So simply stated, Stephen, you just have to believe and yeah. give Jesus your allegiance. So that's, that's awesome. All right. Okay. Um, you said you had a, another big story, and I can't wait to hear it. But that was before the break, so maybe you forgot it. Uh, no, no, no. That was uh, I was just going to tell you about my mom. I didn't know we had time. To oh, get awesome, it. awesome. So we did cover it. But right now, I can tell you right now. This again, what the Lord is doing. My son Nate is uh, has a brand new special out called Hello World. Yep, and it's, it's on uh, Amazon Prime, and he talks about growing up with Christian parents. Sweet, and it's very, very, very funny. And uh, he says that uh, I was he was born in. And uh, uh, his parents became Christians in the 80s. He says, I think that's when they were the most Christians. And he, he says he thinks Jesus had more fun than he did and uh, <laughs> was allowed to do and stuff like that. But it's very, very funny. But it's also put a target on his back a little bit, and which is good and bad. And I mean, it's good because we, we are a Christian family, and we're not ashamed of it. And Nathan's not either. He's willing to stand up, and we're very proud that he was doing so. But this year, I have decided I'm kind of backing off of doing my own shows, and I'm just traveling with Nathan and opening for him. And uh, I'm only doing 18 minutes uh, instead of an hour and a half now. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice. He pays way better. He makes way more money and pays me more money than I've ever been paid in my life. It's like. If he would have just asked me what I charge, he could have got off a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're making the right choice, just so you know. I like the 18-minute set for more money uh, and probably better travel accommodations and everything else, right? Yeah, yeah. He has his own bus and uh, stuff. I, I, I get it's great, and it's, uh, he travels with good people, and it's good, and that's what's good about for your audience and stuff, you can listen to anything Nathan does. And he's got a production company called Nateland Productions, and they put they got about four comics that they filmed. And you just know when you watch these guys, you're not going to see any, you know, hear no dirty words. Yeah. They're not going to talk sex. They're not going to talk politics. Yeah. Uh, they're just going to be funny. Yeah. And uh, you know, and that's what that's what we do. Just, just you know, people just need to laugh and have a good time. I you don't need to know my opinion on what's going on in the world right now. What is that, you know? Uh, that's between me and my family. We'll argue and talk all that stuff out. But the world just needs to come and enjoy life and laugh. 
Uh, I've said that for years and years, Stephen. It's like it's important to not only laugh, but then feel good about what you're laughing at. Oh, that's a great point. Great point. Sometimes yeah. you laugh at something and then you kind of cringe going, ooh, I shouldn't be laughing at that. But it struck yeah, you funny right. and you laughed, but then you didn't like it. And the stuff that's clean and, and wholesome, it gets into your bones and it sticks with you for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that. You're not writing that down, are you? <laughs> yes, I am. No. <laughs> I'll I, put it in my next one. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you about um, your bride. I want to hear a little bit more about uh, your marriage life. And my wife, Carol, yeah. Your wife, Carol, well, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. We met in eighth grade. Okay. And, uh, I met her with like a do you like me letter. <laughs> yeah. I always kid around. I say I sent 17 of them out. I got one back. From her, <laughs> and uh, I was still talking really funny, and 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 I I, I spit because water gets in my mouth. So sure, I was a spitter. Yeah, back then, and uh, still am today a little, but uh, so I didn't really talk to her. We went almost a year going together where we just waved at each other in the hall <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But we ended up going to the same high school. Nice. So I, only boyfriend girlfriend we ever had with each other and stuff. And, and uh, she, her, my father was a, was a bad alcoholic. Her father was a bad alcoholic. And, uh, but, uh, so we had all that in common and stuff. And her family all went off and got married really young. Her sisters and them kind of, everybody, you know, were old. The people was getting married. If you, if you turned 20 and wasn't married, something was wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you thought, so we just got married. I was still pretty, I was just becoming a Christian in her her parents offered me a thousand dollars cash money, which was a lot of money to leave and and not marry her, and uh, that would have been a bargain for them. But later on in in his life, her father, uh, who d- died an alcoholic, also, but mm-hmm. I mean, he said that he goes, I, I don't know about all this Christianity stuff. But he goes, but I saw it change you. And he said, and, and I know it's real because of you. Mm-hmm. And that was like the greatest thing he could, anybody could ever say. And uh, stuff that he saw the difference in my life. But it wasn't there, you know, when we, when I asked her to marry me, I was still a jerk mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, I started Stephen, to learn to live. Yeah. Stephen, I've got one last question for you on your right. letter writing courting strategy. Did you say, if you like me, check this box? Yes. Okay. And and fortunately, she checked the box. So, well, for me, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. Appreci- I so appreciate you taking the time to share your story and and your uh, your life and all of the, um, the the beautiful stories you shared. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We serve a God that's real. Yes, we do. And uh, and, and and you know, people believe with this. I'm telling you the truth. We know, and we want you knowing personally, and you know it's real. Then it can it's life changing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and have yes, a great sir. rest of the day. Yep, Stephen. I sure will. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Stephen Bargetz, he's been my guest. You can learn more about him at magicofstephen.com. Magic of Stephen, S T E P H E N. We'll take a break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. All right, did you know that the word heart or its derivatives is found 938 times in the Bible? Now, my guest, Dr. Greg Borgon, in the next uh, 26 minutes will explain (laughs) each of those, uh, all 938. (laughs) So I'm excited to see how he's going to pull that off. Greg Borgon is uh, not only a regular uh, contributor to the show, he's the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries.org. Greg, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back, Phil. Get cracking, my friend. we got work to do. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how this came to life for me. I mean, back in 1992, I was an executive pastor of a large church in San Diego, and I was ministering to, to men because I had felt God had called me to to minister to, to men to help them to be better fathers, better husbands, better men. And so, consequently, um, everything I did, some men got it and some didn't. That would be true of women as well. they kept turning a corner and you can only turn a corner three times before you're back in the same spot. And so I was wondering, what am I missing here? So I kept turning up the heat and about discipline and focus. And one day in my desperation and my frustration, I came across a passage, Proverbs 4.23, a small passage that I must have read a hundred times, but for some reason that day it just was like a huge beacon Above all else, guard your heart, for from it comes the wellspring of your life. And I thought, that's it. That's it. I've been on the wrong battlefield. Hmm. I've been on sanctified behavior modification. If I could get men to construct a steel band of discipline around their behavior, getting it to conform to some acceptable standard that's kept in place either by the tenacity of their will, the fellowship they keep, or the rules they obey, um, they'll have victory. But sooner or later... As you know, Bill, life cascades in on you. That steel band um, bus, and you revert back to behavior you thought you had victory over mm-hmm. because you've been on the wrong battlefield. That's never where the battle is fought. Uh, behavior is the first indication something is wrong. And if all we deal with is behavior modification, whether it's sanctified or otherwise, the results we're going to get are going to be limited and temporary at best. Why not deal with the source of the problem? So I started looking up all of these verses. I actually did. My compulsivity took over, and I started to research all of these verses. I thought, for crying out loud, if the Lord is referencing this metaphor or this concept or this idea of the heart almost 940 times in the Bible— as compared to 881 for the word love, he's trying to tell us something. Indeed. And you know what I found, Bill, that only in a couple of instances was the Scripture actually referring to the organ, the physical organ Mm -hmm. of the heart. All the rest was a metaphor. So when I started to dig into it, all of a sudden God started opening up uh, my eyes to see what really was there. So in in essence, the the concept or the metaphor of the heart in the Bible is all about the inner being of a person. It's interchangeable oftentimes with mind and spirit. It usually refers to some aspect of, of human personality. In essence, at its irreducible minimum, it's the seat of our desire, our inclination, our will, our emotion, knowledge, wisdom, conscience, and moral character. 
it's what we often refer to as the soul. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is dealing with the heart. So what does the Bible really say? And as I was spending my time in these all of these passages, just immersed into them, I came to some conclusions um, in, in all of the research that I was doing. First of all, in many of the passage, it's clear that out of the heart comes evil. That's where evil exists. That's where our behavior uh, that brings uh uh, discord and and discomfort to our life and is sinful. That's where it arises. So out of the heart comes evil, according to several passages. Secondly, what I found, Bill, is that God is certainly concerned about our hearts. Because in Second Timothy, or excuse me, Second Samuel 16, 7, when he went to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king, and one of the sons, the first one, Eliab, that had all the accoutrements of kingship, was tall, which I've always felt was overrated, <laughs> had a lot of hair, <laughs> probably was very muscular. But he looked like a king. Mm-hmm. And even Samuel, the prophet and judge, thought, surely this is God's anointed. But God stopped him right there. He hadn't seen the other sons yet, even with the first one. He says, Samuel, man looks at appearances and height. I've always looked at the heart. And now you can understand why... God chose David, who wasn't even in the house at the time, mm-hmm. was out in the field, because it says in Acts thirteen twenty two that David was a man after God's heart. He did what God asked him to do, even with all his foibles, even with all of his weaknesses, even with the sin in his life. He was a man after God's heart because he always acknowledged his sin and confessed it before him. So God is concerned about our hearts. The third thing I found out is that God desires a pure heart and motives. Because once these these motives uh, and whatever is comprised in the heart, and we'll get to that in a minute, is purified or cleansed, it's going to impact your behavior. Fourth thing I learned is the enemy doesn't want the heart to be transformed. That's the last thing he mm-hmm. wants to take place. He'd rather we be on the treadmill of behavior modification. Doesn't matter to him that we use Scripture as a means of trying to do that to conform our behavior to that acceptable standard because he knows over time we'll be exhausted, Mm -hmm. that we might have temporary relief, we might have temporary victory, but it won't be lasting, and oftentimes it's not transformational if we focus primarily on our behavior. I've often told men that if I could follow you around for three weeks and you didn't know I was there, and all I did was observe your behavior. I wouldn't have to hear a word that you said. In three weeks, I could come back and sit down with you and tell you what you truly believed and what you truly valued. Mm-hmm. Because your behavior will always reflect the health of your heart. Mm-hmm. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about the heart today. And like Greg was saying, there are over 938 biblical references uh, to the heart. So let's dig in and learn some more. So the the final thing that I realized at the macro level is that God wants our hearts to be transformed. The enemy doesn't, but God wants our hearts to be transformed. So let's just summarize again what we mean by the heart. The heart, again, is the inner being of man. It's the core and essence of who we really are. It's the unvarnished receptacle of our being. It's the irreducible minimum. So it's where the impetus for our action arises. It's the repository for what we truly trust in, rely on, and cling to. It's the filter through which we process all life decisions. It's the lens through which we make judgments regarding our observations of the world around us. It's what moves us to action. It's worth guarding 
and it must be guarded. Above all else, guard your heart. Amen. For from it comes the wellspring of your life. So when we take a look at the the verses and go into greater detail, what you find, Bill, is that the metaphor of the heart, much like the physical heart, I realized after the fact, has four chambers. Well, the heart, the metaphor for the heart has four components. It's uh, your central beliefs, core values, worldview, and motives. When you take a look at these verses, as I did at the end of my book, and all of this all of this research is in my book, um, The Rattling of Sabres, uh, Preparing Your Heart for Life's Battles. Uh, so all of that research is in the back that validates the conclusions that I reached. So first of all, when we're talking about central beliefs, what we really mean are not necessarily what we verbally acclaim or proclaim, because oftentimes what we proclaim bears little correlation to how we actually behave. There's a incongruence between what we say we believe and how we live. But what we truly believe at the core of our being, what we're truly, and, and again, the Greek word for believe is pisteo, which means to trust in, rely on, and cling to. What we truly trust in, rely on, and cling to will manifest itself, Bill, over time and overt behavior that will either bring glory and honor to God or dishonor and shame to us. Mm-hmm. So whatever is in there, whatever the status of it is, whatever the measure of the health of what's in what the Bible calls the heart, especially starting with your sensual beliefs, because it matters what you believe. It was Hebrew scholars of, of ancient Hebrew scholars who says a belief is not a belief until you act on it. Every belief you hold at the core of your being will ultimately manifest itself in this kind of behavior, either glory and honor or dishonor and shame. So that's what we mean by central beliefs. Now, core values, the second component of the metaphor, the uh, the biblical metaphor of heart, um, values, is the filter through which you process any decision of any consequence, whether you can articulate it or not. It's uh, the filter through which you process the decision, the hills you're prepared to die on, the principles you intend to live by. Every decision you make of any consequence is based on a value you hold. And if you're not being proactive about what you value and what you believe, which gives rise to those values, one day you'll be making decisions that are honorable and laudable and respectful. And the next day you'll make decisions that are despicable, that um, are dishonorable. And it comes from the same heart. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we haven't made a volitional decision what's going to stand in authority over what we believe and what we value. Mm-hmm. So we allow the world, the enemy, and our own selfish desires to shape what we believe and what we value. Greg, you have in the past spoken about hills that you're willing to bleed on, hills you're willing to die on, and hills you should avoid altogether. Yeah. Can those all be uh, happen at the same time where you say, well, I'm, I'm willing to go bleed on this hill, and you go from being willing to bleed to being willing to die. Huh. And then when you're, you're, you're almost dead, you're going, I wish I never would climb that, that hill at all. <laughs> I'm sure that's possible. Well, when I talk about hills to die on, they're the, the imaginal line that you're not going to cross. They're the, uh, that you're not going to compromise your beliefs and values over the altar of expediency. 
no matter what the circumstance, right. no matter what the context is. And that's why they should be few in number. They should be biblically based. And they're the word of God. Yep. yep. The hills you're prepared to die on, that you're not going to give any ground. I don't ever see a word called compromise in God's word. So it's not to compromise under any circumstances, right. no matter what it costs you. And now we're not always talking about the fact that, um, you know, you, you may physically die, but your career might die. Sure. Your friendships might die. Yeah. Your reputation could suffer for, in the world because you decided that this is a hill I'm prepared to die on. And the only way that you know that is when you volitionally make a decision, what beliefs and values am I going to um, stand on and what I'm going to rely on. Mm-hmm. And then the hills to bleed on are never your hills. There are always the hills that God may require you to bleed on. While in other cases, under that dealing with that same issue or topic, he will tell us to hold our voice. Mm-hmm. This is not the right time. But at other times, he'll want us to bleed on that hill. Sure. But the key is to make sure they're not our hills. Make there their, is hills. They're situational. Hills. Okay. And then everything else yep. are hills we shouldn't be climbing at all because they're somebody else's hill to die on. Right. Somebody else's hill God's calling them to bleed Amen. on. Amen. But not ours. That's a good word, Greg Borgon. Thanks for that. Yeah. I didn't mean to take you off your, your no, course No, that's here a okay. Bit, but, that's yeah, okay. We're this take, is fun. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back, continue with Dr. Greg Borgon, talking about what is the heart all about, 938 biblical references to it, and it's the inner being of man. We'll be right back. Just me, or do you see a Colosseum right now? I hear that certainly music? do. Yeah, I, I do too. Just, I'm reaching for my sword. <laughs> yeah, your saber. Where is it? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He is the president and founder of heartofawarrior.org. We're talking about the heart today. A lot of references in scripture to the heart, and it is the center of our spiritual activity. It's it's where we make our decisions. Well, and you know, Scripture is very clear. And for the, to help the audience to, to make sure this this isn't uh, someone's hobby horse, this is really scripturally based. When you take a look at Proverbs chapter six, verse twenty through twenty three, this illustrates how important beliefs are. It says, "My son, and by implication, my daughter, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever." Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. And then you read in John eight thirty one and 32, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, these beliefs we've been talking about, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, when it comes to values, you read a passage like Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a 
pure heart. So these values and beliefs are critical. These are the first two components. The third component is the set of perceptual attitudes we have about life, which we now understand in this day and age. We call it worldview. Mm-hmm. So in other words, um, the worldview that we have, and hopefully it's a biblical worldview, is the lens through which um, we view the world and make sense of our observations. It's how we connect the dots. It's how we interpret our our sensual experiences. It's, it's how we understand what's happening around us, to us, uh, in front of us. So our worldview gives us a prescriptive glasses, if you will, a prescription mm-hmm. to help us see the world in a certain way. That's why it's important to know what your prescription is. And so and my encouragement to men and women all along is to make sure they have a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. not a worldview that's based on some political system, whether it be socialism or capitalism or some other ism, whether it be, uh, you, you know, uh, a, a personal sense of human secularism or whatever it is. Anything that has ism at the end of it is a worldview. It comes with a set of beliefs and values that formulate your prescriptive lens through which you view the world and interpret everything in front of you. So what I'm advocating for is that we be, we develop a, a biblical worldview. Now, the fourth component is motives. Motives are the energy that compel you to move from thought to action. And so an idea to have a motive, let's say the motive is, is unconditional love, uh, which is defined scripturally, at least the agape form of, of, of love, is the unconditional concern for the welfare and well-being of another individual, even if they're unlikable, because it's not emotionally based. It's action-oriented. Ooh. If that compel, if if that is your motive, that's going to determine the kind of behavior you should see from the exercise of that motive. And that motive is based on the beliefs, values, and perceptual attitudes you had that give rise to those motives. So the the other thing that I found out, Bill is that in all of my research, I found there was a relationship between these components. Now, it's not as linear as I'm about to describe. It's more like an ecosystem, beliefs being the primary um, component of the ecosystem. But let me just just share it. Uh, Your central beliefs establish your values. Your values inform your worldview. Your worldview conditions your motives. Your motives energize your behavior, and your behavior will always reflect the health of your heart. Let me say that again. Your central beliefs establish your values. Your values inform your worldview. Your worldview conditions your motives. Your motives energize your behavior, and your behavior will always reflect the health of your heart. So if there is something corrupted in your belief in your value system, it's going to manifest itself Mm. in corrupted behavior. Can only go one direction. Can only go one direction, mm-hmm. because the symptom is the corrupted behavior. The cause is a corrupted belief or value that's not biblically based. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, every follower of Christ has to make the decision: what or who is going to stand in authority over what I believe and what I value? Because whoever we place on that throne, whatever system or person we place on that throne will determine the quality of behavior that's produced based on who's ever on the throne. Mm -hmm. Who's ever on the throne will condition what you believe and value. 
whether it's a philosophy, an ideology, or you're worshiping somebody. Mm-hmm. Greg, it reminds me of that um, little truism that goes like this. What you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Yeah, so exactly. It's always going to be your behavior that's going to be a true manifestation of yeah. uh, your worldview, which will have motivated your uh, your beliefs, which will have motivated your worldview. Yep. which will then have activated your belief system. Yeah. And... yeah, your worldview is actually your beliefs plus your values. Okay. Whatever at the core of your belief, whatever you really value, forms your worldview. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't um, proactive about what's going to condition and shape that, it'll be shaped by the world. Oh, yeah. Or by who you hang around with, which I tell my grandsons all the time, be careful who you become friends with because who you befriend you'll become them. <laughs> so be careful how you choose your friends mm-hmm. and who you surround yourself with. So that doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves as ghetto Christians, yeah. throw verses <laughs> over the transom and hope it's going to hit a non-Christian. Yeah. I noticed you never called me for lunch. Should I take that personally? <laughs> yeah, you could. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to. Okay. All right, let me give you an example again, of how these kind of relate. Let me give you an example of a biblically informed belief versus a uh, sinfully corrupted belief. A biblically informed belief would say we're created in the image of God, whereas a sinful corrupted belief says we're animals of a higher order. Hmm. When we talk about a value, let's, let me give you a biblically informed value, authority of God's word. A sinfully corrupted one would be there's no absolute, truth is relative. You see that you've got your truth, I have mine. Yep. Yep. Your truth ends where my nose begins, sort of thing. Right. When it comes to an attitude, for a biblical uh, attitude, worldview, the world is corrupted by sin. A sinfully corrupted worldview said, hey, there's no final judgment. We're seeing that kind of played out in front of us today mm-hmm. in, our, in our Western culture. And finally, a motive uh, could be commitment to God that compels you to move from thought to action, your commitment to God. A corrupted motive might be commitment to self, whatever's in my best interest. Mm-hmm. But in any case, it doesn't matter what's in there. It will form this ecosystem that will give rise and stimulate your behavior. So the goal of every follower of Christ is to remove the corruption and replace it with truth. Now, when I train uh, people to do this, I talk to them about a two-step process. I say, you know, we're very familiar as Christians with removal of sin through confession, like in First John 2, 9. Confess your sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. Yeah. Did I, what did I say? You said 2 John 1, 9. Oh, 1 John 1, 9. Yep. Thank you for that correction. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I can call always for count lunch. on you. <laughs> I'll call you for lunch. <laughs> okay. I'm the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. Oh, so yeah, yeah call me I for sure lunch. will. I'm right. inviting you to Ireland, but you never come. Um, so in any case, uh, what we're talking about is the removal And then we're surprised when that sin revisits us again. Mm -hmm. Didn't I remove it? God says that he cast it behind him, uh, that it's it's way behind him. He doesn't refer to it anymore. It was paid at the cross. But why is it all of a sudden resurfacing itself again? I think we're missing the second step, Bill. Because when there is corruption in your heart, it begins with removal, which is confession, which is legitimate. Mm Mm-hmm. You confess your sin because it's not a matter of establishing a relationship with God. You did that at the moment of conversion. It's now a matter of restoring your relationship with God. 
Mm-hmm. So that's confession. But if you don't replace what you've taken out of there, not only does nature abhor a vacuum, right? so does sin abhor a vacuum. It'll climb right back in there if it's not replaced with something. So the second step that I train people to do is in addition to the removal through confession, you need to replace what you've extracted or removed with truth and then make a commitment to act on that truth in the same direction or extended period of time. And that's where transformed behavior takes place mm-hmm. is when the lie is replaced with the truth. So Amen. it's removal through confession and it's replacement with truth mm-hmm. and a commitment to act on it. That's how you deal with a corrupted heart. That's how you deal with transformational change in behavior in your life. Mm-hmm. The renewing of your mind every day. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Greg, this is a big chunk of material. I know that we have a lot more to cover and we're really running out of time, unfortunately. So I'm going to encourage us to resume this uh, uh, next time we're together. Oh, I'd like and, to do and that. continue though. to go through this because I feel like there's a lot more to talk about. Oh, there certainly is. Yeah. So why don't we do that? And we um, will continue discussing the heart with Dr. Greg Borgon the next time he visits, probably in a couple of weeks. So I'll look forward to that. And we're going to take a little break. And if you have not gotten the Faith Radio app, can I just encourage you to do so? Uh, You can listen to Faith Radio live or on demand wherever you are. You can download the free Faith Radio app at whatever app store you use. So we'll take a break and we will be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.